You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up today, a few stories to get us ready for back to school, including how to use social media as a tool for positive learning and how to ease back to school stress for both parents and students. But we begin at Queen's Park. With the new school year just around the corner, the Ontario government released the new sex ed curriculum. Ontario's education minister, Stephen Lecce, joins us on the feed. Minister Lecce, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks so much, Gina. It's great to be here. Now, there are many who say this curriculum is not much different than its predecessor. Can you tell us what's in it and what's new? Absolutely. I would argue this is a transformation of the former liberal um, uh, you know, um, curriculum that deals with health uh, and physical education. The fact of the matter is, in both the process that led us to this, uh, led us to this curriculum, and the substance of the curriculum are significantly different. First, on the process, I would submit the great contrast point is that the former government they didn't listen to parents and educators and the kids themselves. They didn't give them a mechanism and a bona fide way to have their voice heard. And I think as public office holders, we have to do a better job of making sure the democratic will, the expression of our constituents are heard. And the reason why people oppose this curriculum, in my estimation, is because they weren't. And so we've cre- created the biggest, um, you know, uh, consultation in the history of the province and within our ministry. Over 70,000 people had a say, and they were heard. I'll tell you what's different about it in the substance of it. First of all, in no particular order, we've made mental health uh, a massive focus of the curriculum from grade one to grade eight. Mental health is now in the curriculum, whereas it was not in the former iterations. When it comes to online safety, a huge priority for me, including human trafficking, we now have ended mandatory learning from kindergarten to grade three, for grade six and grade eight. Why we've done that is because, you know, there's a lot of predators online, a lot of, you know, predatory action taking place online, cyberbullying and other forms of victimization. I want kids to know, and, you know, I've got two nieces that are on their tablets all the time, five and four years old, they know they use them better than I do. And the fact is, they need to have the confidence and the knowledge to keep stay safe. On human trafficking, you know, we're seeing we're seeing two thirds of human trafficking in this country happens in our province, uh, regrettably, and overwhelmingly up the 400 series highways right here in our backyard. We have to do better in this area. So we've added mandatory learning in this respect. On things like, you know, um, cannabis under the former version, you know, they didn't include. A cannabis uh, to the extent that we do because it wasn't legalized back then. And so it was obsolete in some respects. And so we've added mandatory learning in grade five, mandatory learning to grade seven and eight, and we've increased the substance abuse element because we're seeing more opioids dependence of younger people uh, and addiction levels that are uh, at epidemic levels. And we want to condition people, inform them, young people, of the negative harm, the adverse harms of drug use, particularly cannabis as it becomes more uh, you know, normalized in society because the federal liberals have legalized it, and that's their prerogative, but I want to make sure we're arming our kids with the knowledge to stay safe. On consent, you know, it only was in grade 7 and 8 in 2015. We've now added mandatory learning in grade 1, uh, 2, all the way to grade 6. Why? I mean, when I say grade 1 consent, what I mean by that is just it's age-appropriate, obviously. It's talking about giving young people the knowledge of, of boundaries of their body, autonomy of their body. You know, it's inappropriate for someone, a peer, 
or an adult to touch them inappropriately. So this is all about safety. Everything we've done, Tina, is about empowering uh, students to stay safe in the classroom, on the playground, in their communities. That is what why we did this. It's what is our focus. And it's what really, for me, is a very sombering duty as minister because I've got 2 million young people uh, under my carriage, and I want to make sure every single one of them remains safe uh, within this province. Now, this new curriculum also provides school boards the opportunity to give parents a chance to opt out. Why that option? Well, that option, you know, essentially existed under the former version, the former government, but it was very disconnected and disjointed. Some boards did did it, some boards did not. Some boards provided, you know, multi-day notice, some boards did less, and so it was very disconnected. What we've done is uh, we've standardized it, we've harmonized it, because we believe that parents deserve to have uh, a say. And we've always believed that parents have an important role to play in the development of, 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 of their child's lives in the context of, of the sexual health curriculum. And so that's why we've done that. We were respecting their rights as parents, and we're respecting the roles they have over their children. Now, I think overwhelmingly most parents are going to want their kids to learn uh, the foundation of this curriculum is an inclusive document. It, it instills, instills respect uh, and it maintains the safety of their kids. But for those that may, uh, for certain sections, believe that the subject matter is incongruent with their values, their faith, their customs and culture, then, then they now have that right as it existed, but we've now standardized it so that it's, it's fair and it's equitable, it's predictable right across the board. Now, I'm sure many of us remember those protests that took place on the lawn of Queen's Park about the initial or original sex ed curriculum. Do you believe that maybe this is a bit of a happy medium, that maybe it's got a little bit for everyone in here and they'll all be happy and we're not going to see those protests again? You know, I think the way we ensure we don't um, we don't um, see more protests, if you will, is by political actors listening to the people they serve. That's how we do it, uh, Tina. And so for me and for my predecessor and for the Premier and the entire caucus, our party believes that we have to be listening to those we govern. And that's why uh, we have done that through the large consultations, why we took the time to do that. It's why we launch an ambitious plan to seek input from every region of the province. And so we've come up with a plan that I think is um, fulsome. It is inclusive. It is much, it goes much further. It's 80 pages longer. It has more content, new additions on online safety, concussions, mental health, consent. I mean, it's fundamental areas, even food literacy. You know, there's some, some those augmentations that really make sure young people know uh, to have make the right decisions for themselves. It's really about empowering them to make the best decisions for their own bodies, for their own futures, for their own lives. And uh, I think it's we landed in a place that all parties across the province can feel confident in. And what about those who say that the government betrayed them, that they accuse your boss, Premier Doug Ford, of lying about his promise to repeal the program completely? What do you want to say to them? You know, I think that when we've listened uh, to families, we've given the largest consultation in the history of the province, we've created a mechanism to be heard. We landed in a place that I think achieves the objectives set out in the priorities of parents. I think where we, what we fulfilled is our commitment uh, to build a plan that instills safety uh, for our kids, that instills confidence in our parents, and that provided them a say and an opportunity to be heard. I think, you know, that is an important takeaway uh, for families listening, we respect their views, we respect their values, and the system that we're trying to build is that every child in the province, irrespective of your heritage or faith 
orientation, your gender, your gender uh, and place of birth, your social economic status, whatever, and whoever you may be. I want them to know that they should feel included in this province. So that's an important element in the 21st century. We're giving them the skills, the tools, the confidence to go through education, the journey of learning, knowing that as they go through it, they can have they can live a healthy lifestyle, healthy life, positive life, lead, lead productive lives in the economy and in their communities. And that's really what was the driving emphasis for us. It's safety and the causality between safe and positive uh, experience in the classroom and how that's going to help many of these young people on a positive journey in their lives for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. And that's what we want. Now, I just want to talk about some of the specifics in the curriculum. Students will now learn about gender identity and gender expression in grade 8 instead of grade 6, and they'll learn about sexual orientation in grade 5 as opposed to grade 6, so it's earlier. Why these changes? Well, we, you know, it is underpinned by parental perspective. The consultation made clear that they wanted us to ensure that this was an inclusive document. So we, we included... Uh, in orientation, for example, sexual orientation, it was already in grade six. We moved it to grade five because there's a realization that, uh, you know, younger kids were identifying as part of the LGBTQ community. We want them to feel safe. We want them to have that knowledge. We want their peers who are not identifying to also know that, um, that those kids are not to be seen as different, but they're just equal, uh, they're, they're, they have human dignity, and they should be treated with respect. That's why we moved orientation from grade six to five. It's why in the, the section called Tolerance and Respect, which deals with homophobia, we moved that from grade, uh, we moved that rather uh, to grade five from grade six, and we added it in grade seven, part of the mandatory learning in both sections, and that deals with homophobia. And with respect to how we build curricula, you know, this is really a scaffolding approach where we build the foundations. In grade three, we introduced a concept uh, of visible and invisible differences. That we're trying to condition young people. It doesn't really matter, you know, that that person looks a little different or acts a little different or may wear religious garments or whatever it is. That shouldn't be a consideration in how you interface with them or, the, or, their, or their inherent value as a, as a human being. So we start to lay the groundwork for those values. And in grade eight, at a mature age, uh, with the right somber mind and in place, and with that good foundation built, we think is the right time to introduce concepts like identity, because I believe, and I think more or rather parents believe, that it's a complex subject matter. It is for even some adults. And so I think, you know, it's important we do that at the right time, but we do it. Some problems don't at all. So we're doing that. We've maintained that inclusivity lens, and I think we've landed in a place that all people, irrespective of their experience, should feel confident that they're going to see themselves in the system. Now, you mentioned this already, but I'd like to go back to it. You said that there will be a new focus on mental health, social media, cyberbullying, human trafficking, but also teaching on concussions. Why the inclusion of that subject matter? Well, concussions were important because we've seen, um, we've just seen a lot of activity increasingly in the last few years on playgrounds and arenas, on fields of young people getting injured. And so I want to encourage more young people to get out uh, uh, onto the, onto the, into their fields, off their tablets. I want to see more healthy lifestyle. We have a, we have a high youth, uh, youth uh, obesity rate. So we're trying to tackle that, but we're just trying to provide the knowledge to stay safe. And we introduced a law, Romans law, that um, really has a lot to do uh, with a, a, a young individual who passed away as a result of concussion because you know, that individual perhaps didn't have that knowledge, those signs, that, that vigilance to get checked, stop playing, 
and ultimately to seek the, 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 the medical attention that, that they needed at that point. And so we're informed by those experiences. We want to make sure that there's no victims when it comes to this. We want to make sure every child is safe when, they, when they're out playing um, a sport or an activity. And so for me, physical safety, mental safety, they're equal. They're so important. And I want to give kids the knowledge that they know when they, when they see those signs, either for themselves or for their peers, that they take action. Minister Lecce, just before we let you go, I must ask you, can you provide any insight or comfort to parents who are worried about a teacher's strike this fall, either at the elementary or secondary school level? And I know you don't want to discuss this or you don't want to debate this in the media, but I think parents are curious to know, is there going to be stability in the next school year? My, you know, look, I, I've heard some unions, Tina, talk about preparing for battle. Uh, I think my focus singularly has been preparing for the first day of class. I want to make sure the kids, when they are, and I'm confident the kids will remain in the classroom in September, that they're going to have an inclusive environment, that our educators are going to be focused on educating and inspiring our young people to achieve their potential. We're negotiating in good faith. We're doing this around the clock. I've called on all parties, including my own uh, negotiators, but as well as the unions, to come to the table expeditiously and land a deal. I think parents deserve predictability, and I want them to have that deal. And I'm working very, very hard to achieve that objective in the public interest because uh, that predictability, I think, is certainly what they deserve. And I know students in Ontario, they just want to learn. They want to be in the classroom. They want to you know, enjoy the benefits of our amazing education system. And that's the vision I have, and that's really the goal I'm trying to land, a good, positive deal for students in Ontario. Minister Lecce, thank you, as always, for joining us on the feed and spending some time with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Tina. One last footnote from the Education Minister. The day after the sex ed curriculum was released, the province announced that class sizes will remain essentially the same, as last year. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. We move from Queen's Park to the students in our own backyard. On September 3rd, approximately 300,000 York Region students will be heading back to class. But how many of them are looking forward to the first day? We hit the streets to find out. I'm honestly very excited, but also nervous because I'm going in junior year. So I heard that it was very hard, but I'm also very excited because I love the social aspect of school. And how was your last year at school? I honestly really liked it as well because I personally love school. I find it like fun and interesting to like learn new things every day. So I liked it last year. So are you excited to go back to school? Yes, to see my friends. And why are you not excited? To do work. <laughs> and what grade are you going into this year? Grade four. Yeah, actually, I'm really excited to go back because I get to see my friends. I've been at camp all summer, so I haven't really seen them all in a few months. <laughs> and what are you not excited about? I'm definitely not excited to go back to do all of the schoolwork that I know I'm going to have to do and a lot of the books that I'm going to have to read. Definitely not exciting. <laughs> If you're a parent who's looking for more information about the upcoming school year, you can check out YRDSB or YCDSB.ca. I'm Sydney Bordignaw for The Feed. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, and joining us next on the show is author and teacher librarian Jennifer Cassata. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about your work and your book? 
Absolutely. So um, my name is Jennifer, and I've been teaching for 24 years. Um, I began as a high school English teacher, and I've taught a variety of things since then, special education and co-op and religious education. Then I took a leap out of the classroom and became the literacy consultant. I was first the program resource teacher and then the literacy consultant for the York Catholic District School Board. Did that for six years, and now I've come back to a school, and I'm a teacher librarian at Cardinal Carter Catholic High School in Aurora. And in the midst of all of that and my passion for education, um, in 2011, I got on Twitter for education and connected with some fabulous people, um, started a blog, uh, completely innovated the kinds of things that I was doing in my classroom, and then became really interested in the role social media played in education. And so I met a guy named George Kuros, uh, who came and did some work in our uh, system, and he inspired me to think differently about the role of social media in education. And from there, um, I embarked on a journey where I started to meet a lot of really fabulous kids who were doing social media differently. And that led to writing a book called Social Media, Moving Students from Digital Citizenship to Digital Leadership, which I published with Dave Burgess Consulting. Um, oh my gosh, almost two years now, though people continue to read it and it, it, it resonates so much today. Um, what I do in the book is celebrate the kids and teacher mentors who are really supporting students to use social media in positive ways, to learn and share learning, to empower the voice of others, and to make a positive difference in the world. Now, you, you said something there that you met a group of students who were doing social media differently. What does that mean? What it means is um, what we typically see with students is that they will follow entertainers and watch funny cat videos and all kinds of videos. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's a bad thing in small doses. But what these students were doing, and I've met them everywhere. I've met them even in York Region. I actually just interviewed a student today named Keely Eard, uh, Aird rather, um, who is in from Markham, who is using social media to share about science in school. Um, I've met kids who are just trying to make a difference in the world to stomp out homelessness or whatever the case may be and using leveraging social media in order to share their message. And these are the students that I feel we don't celebrate enough, um, that lots of kids don't know that there's a whole other way they can use social media to connect with others. Um, and, and even now, um, in my work over the past two years, I've been working with, uh, Lee Castle, as well as Brock Baker and a few other teachers and a group of students. It's actually the focus of my master's project thesis, um, where students are, we have a Twitter chat for students where they're talking about topics that are important to them and using social media to connect with other kids in Ontario and in the world. And so um, that's what I mean. These are kids who are using social media to connect in positive ways and to learn um, and not the typical ways that we see. And what are those topics then that those students are interested in right now? So it's interesting because what the students do, um, we mentor them in many ways. Uh, it's called the On Ed Student Chat, the initiative, and we, we're rebranding it to be called the Global Ed Student Chat because it's now gone global. 
the kids propose things that are important to them. So in May, for example, body image was the question, uh, was the topic, and we had an expert from Media Smarts come in and talk to that. Music and mental health, um, the environment, um, you know, uh, uh, goal setting was a question, uh, was a topic that they had. So the students actually suggest topics, but then we put it out on Twitter and other kids vote. Um, and so that's really how we get our topics. How do we teach our children to create a positive digital footprint? Because I think that's that's really a struggle for for parents and teachers alike. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, modeling is so important. I think you know, in in a day and age where social media can be so negative um, and can take up so much of our time, um, you know, showing our kids balance, showing our kids that we can actually use social media to to be a positive influence on others. So this morning I shared on Twitter and on Facebook, you know, reach out to three people and compliment them. And then I, I created just a hashtag called Triple Kindness Tuesday. I don't know, but but really modeling what it looks like to connect positively, um, to not gossip or be mean and underhanded. Um, our kids watch us. I mean, the theory of observational learning uh, by Albert Bandura says that kids imitate the behavior they observe. So I would say modeling is super, super, super important. Um, also, the idea of seeking out role models that are different, right? So these kids that I'm talking to you about, they're kids that I share and showcase all the time because social media really is about who you follow. So if you're following very toxic and negative influences, your suggestions are going to continue to be that. Um, whereas if you're following someone like Keely Aird, um, you are going to then be given suggestions such as these amazing other women in science. Um, so I would say that would be the second um, thing. And Conversations, like really mentoring our kids to embark on conversations about, you know, how, how is this making you feel or how can we do this differently? You know, if, if this is causing you to be sad or you're looking at the, um, you know, your Instagram feed and it's making you feel like your, your life isn't worth it or, you know, which is a conversation we had for body image, you know, what can you do differently or, you know, really getting kids to um, isolate what it is that they're feeling and talk about it. How can parents make sure that their children are using these platforms safely? They have to be involved. Um, I, I read. So you can't be surprised. No. No, absolutely not. And and you have to, and when I say getting involved, um, there was uh, one of the research studies I just read recently, a guy named Wang, he said, and I'm trying to remember the quote, he said that parental involvement has a greater impact than parental restriction. So we think in so many ways that, you know, saying absolutely you can't have this um, is the way to go. And for really young kids, I would say, for sure, you know, try not to have them influence, you know, be influenced at an early age if you can help it. Um, but, but if there are, you know, a number of the, your child's friends who are on some of these sites and, and you're reticent, well, 13 is the age, you know, say, I don't feel comfortable with you being on this. We need to be on it together. Um, most of the kids that I have met who are young and on social media doing, using it positively, um, their parents are very much involved in what they're doing. Are there specific sites or social platforms that you recommend that parents um, 
could use or to follow themselves to create that that positive influence? Absolutely. Um, so my site, I do a lot of blogging about parenting issues, and I'm actually, um, I don't know, I get, I could say this officially, um, writing a book called uh, for parents. Uh, it's called Raising Digital Leaders, and uh, so this is book number two. This is book number two. So it's a parent companion. Thank you. Um, I I do a lot of parent talks. I go out and talk to different communities, and so a lot of their questions resonate. And so I'm taking some of those questions, and I'll be putting them in my own resource. Common Sense Media is an amazing site to follow for parents um, because they have a uh, very much a moderated approach. They're not going to make you so fearful that they'll take a uh, you know scare you half to death. Um, but they but very much they they will provide you know. Uh, resources and insights. The last one that I read was about podcasts, right? What are some great podcasts you can listen to as a family? Um, so those are two, I would say, um, Common Sense Media is a great one. Media Smarts is another great one. And look for my book in the spring. <laughs> Fantastic. And what is your message then to parents and students as we begin another school year? So my 100% model, uh, positive behaviors, balanced approach, become involved, ask naive questions. Um, my One of the strategies I advocate for the most is called a think aloud. Um, and so, and I've blogged about it before. You're welcome to check that out. But the think aloud is a common literacy practice that I use. And it basically gives my students or my children insight as to what I'm thinking, but in a non-confrontational way. So if I said to my child, don't do this, she would do the opposite. But if I say, hmm, this post really makes me uncomfortable, I think I'm going to block this person so I don't have that negativity. They hear, right, you thinking aloud, and that impacts them in a positive way. So that's for example, one of the strategies that I would say, but getting involved, asking questions, um, making sure that you're you're also listening. Um, we're so quick as parents sometimes to shut down our kids, um, but if they're super excited about Roblox or you know a particular YouTuber, I think it's far it, far better for us to ask questions not not judgmental questions but tell me about why you like this person so much or share with me your favorite thing um, those are really important strategies that help keep us involved I think the more we can stay involved the more likely that if something does go wrong along you know the way later on your child will be more open to having a conversation with you about it Great advice, Jennifer. If our listeners want to connect with you or want more about your book, Social Media, where can they get more information? Um, everything, I think, can happen through jcassatodd.com, which is where I blog. And I'm at jcassatodd on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a Facebook page called Social Media. Terrific. Thanks for being here. And you must come back when book number two comes out. Oh, I'd be excited to do that. Thank you for having me. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. If your household is starting to feel the stress of back to school, Afwaba is next with how to ease the transition. A new survey released by ebates.ca cites expenses, not surprisingly, as the top back to school stressor. Joining me to chat today about what other things stress out parents and kids leading up to the back to school season is Belinda Boynier, the VP of Marketing at ebates.ca. Belinda, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thanks for having me. First up, what do you think parents think that kids stress about the most leading up to the back to school season? So really, you know, I think not huge surprises here when we think about what the kids might be stressed about. Um, Interestingly, homework still number one. So 26% of people saying they think the biggest stressor for the kids going back to school is homework. One that I always kind of have a little chuckle about is having to wake up early. So 23% saying having to wake up early is is a stressor. You know, sometimes we get off our typical schedule during the summer period. And then on a more serious note, you know, fitting in with other kids is still a big stressor for a lot of the kids going back to school this season. Honestly, when you said the word homework, I even got the chills. <laughs> How long have I been out of school? <laughs> and yes, um, getting up early, that, that is a bit of a chuckle too, considering, I mean, parents now do it all the time. But yes, seeing them go into that transition mode, you just have to sit back and laugh a little. But um, okay, those are definitely um, some, some common ones that I think have been steady throughout the years. Um, now let's turn it on the parents. What do the parents themselves stress about the most? So overwhelmingly, we see during our research around the back-to-school period that the most stressful part for parents really is the expense of shopping for back-to-school. So, you know, nearly 30% of parents saying that that's the biggest stressor for them, with the average parent saying they're expecting to spend about $168 per child to get them outfitted for that first day back. $168. Okay. Um, Is that higher? Has that been a steady increase over the year? Is this lower or is this the general amount? And if so, why the high price, especially since a lot of products are now being sold at discount stores? Absolutely. Yeah, it it is a little bit higher than it was last year when we conducted this research. So, you know, more parents saying it's going to be a little bit more expensive this school year. Um, The good news is a lot of options to employ strategies to save money while shopping. Um, but, you know, I think just the more we get back into the group of back to school, the more we find kids need things. And it's a range of things, whether it's supplies or sneakers or backpacks, which always seem to take the biggest beating during the school year somehow. Mm-hmm, I agree with you. And I'm sure somewhere in, in that list, technology, I'm sure is eating a, a huge chunk of that expense list as well. Absolutely. Yeah. More and more people outfitting the home as well as kids individually with some new tech for back to school. Agreed. Okay. So then what are some of the things that parents then can do to lessen the cost? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of opportunity for parents to find deals when it comes to back to school shopping. So um, 94% say they're using online as a tool to do that. So obviously using a retailer website to search for deals is always a good idea. Searching for online coupons or promo codes is helpful. Using a cashback website like ebates.ca where you can earn some cashback on the things that you're shopping for also puts a couple dollars back in your pocket during an expensive time of year. All right. Great tips there. Um, What if parents aren't uh, as tech savvy and they don't necessarily do well navigating the Internet? Is there a a way that they can find ways to cut costs? Yeah, there's lots of of options. You know, I mean, we still see, while obviously we are most focused on the, the online universe as it comes to back to school shopping, you know, 
we are still seeing flyers are really popular. So those good old days when you used to get the flyers in the mailbox, um, still a lot of merchants using particularly the back to school period to advertise and promote special offers or door crashers in that way. So important to keep your eyes open for some printed materials as well this time of year for those good deals. Honestly, when I was a kid, and I'm not going to say how many years ago that was, but I used to love seeing the flyers come in. And I could see sometimes how parents would, you know, stress over this. You could see it on your parents' face. It was pretty obvious. But um, just looking at the flyers and just seeing the different sales that were on and comparing them, that used to give me a little bit um, of enjoyment. I wouldn't I won't lie. So I know that they're also a part um, of the study is involving the kids in this back to school uh, shop season involving the kids is that a good thing still yeah you know we find actually overwhelmingly that canadian parents say they try to involve their kids in the back to school shopping process so 94 percent of people saying they try in some way to get their kids involved in shopping um about 70 percent of parents saying they actually let their kids pick out some products um and 30 percent of them saying you know they make the online shopping a, a group effort. So, you know, sitting down, talking through what supplies you need, and then looking at them online together and finding really what they need and where the best deals are. That's pretty neat. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily have to be with the flyers anymore. It can be online, and especially since kids are so tech-savvy these days, it will probably maybe lessen the stress uh, that much more. That's great. Um, where can residents go for more info? And, of course, uh, maybe information on resources as well if they need a little bit of help uh, before they get into that back-to-school shopping season. Absolutely. You can check out ebates.ca press for full release and details on our survey. And of course, shop through ebates.ca to earn cash back during the school season and hopefully save a little money while you do it. And that's the main goal at the end of this season. Belinda, thank you so much for chatting with me today and giving us some great tips on how to save a couple of bucks uh, before September starts with back to school. Thank you so much. Happy shopping and happy back to school, everybody. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. Over to Jim Lang and how to shop for legitimate sports memorabilia. For the longest time, Upper Deck has been the gold standard for uh, trading cards and cards and memorabilia for sports in North America. I'm thrilled to be speaking to the president of Upper Deck, Jason Mashra. Jason, how are you? Good. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm I'm excellent. Uh, something involving your company and someone very important to us here in the region, New Market in Canada, Connor McDavid. I, I guess I guess we'd be a little naive to, to think this didn't happen, but recently there was a case of a forgery and uh, memorabilia involving, involving Connor McDavid that was falsified and really fake goods. Yeah, we were we were really disappointed to see that, and I think you know the the biggest issue out there is people don't realize that. Connor has an exclusive autograph deal with Upper Deck and has had one for memorabilia since 2016. Yeah, I've seen him in action. I know how generous he is with his time, and uh, he's a great brand ambassador for Upper Deck, if I may say so, because of the kind of person he is. So he must have been a little blindsided by this news that there was counterfeit autographs and, and Connor McDavid memorabilia out there because of his relationship with you and your company. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the reasons he did the deal with us was to make sure that his fans 
have access to legitimate um, signed goods by Connor. Um, it is very important to him, and he was uh, taken aback quite a bit by the news. So we were all very disappointed. And, um, you know, we go to great lengths to authenticate our memorabilia and to provide steps for people to authenticate that memorabilia. So um, it's important for people to know, you know, how to get authentic merchandise. I, I, I was fascinated one time I was watching something, Jason, with uh, Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen podcast, and he had uh, some members of Goodfellas on. And uh, Ray Liotta was on, and he presented him with a signed copy of Goodfellas, and Ray said, that's not my signature. And Rich Eisen had spent big money at this auction <laughs> to buy it, and he thought it was legit. said, no, that's not mine. I, that happens all the time to even inform people. How, as a consumer, do I protect myself to make sure I'm not buying some counterfeit goods for, for a friend or a loved one? Yeah, so the, the nice part with the check authentication process, which has been in effect since 1991, is that you know, we go to great lengths to help consumers identify merchandise. And I think the biggest piece is that you know each item, so if you bought a Connor jersey, there would be a hologram on the jersey next to his signature that has a serial number on it there should be a certificate of authenticity with another hologram that matches and has the exact same serial number. So that's kind of your first step. You should have two pieces that correspond to each other. The next step is, is you can actually log on to our website on the upperdeck.com website. There is a hologram database where you can actually type in that number and it will tell you the type of piece and who signed that piece and when it was signed. So you actually have multiple levels of security to figure out and determine that that item is legitimate and authentic. And for people wondering, just go to UpperDeck.com, the website that Jason's referring to, and you can check to make sure that your piece of memorabilia, whether it's for your collection or a child's collection or a friend's collection, is authentic. I've, I've, I've been covering sports and media for close to three decades, Jason, and I can't tell how many times I've been around the media entrance. It's also the entrance for visiting players, and there are adult men with these binders full of photos and cards <laughs> l- looking to get signatures. And I always wonder how much of that is just a scam to fool other people and make money. Yeah, I mean, those guys, you know, they're trying to get legitimate signatures. The problem is, is that they don't have any authentication to them. So even when they get a legitimate autograph from an athlete in passing, there's no way to authenticate it. Um, you know, that's why we put that process in place, um, you know, 30 years ago, essentially, was to make sure that people have peace of mind when they spend good money, hard-earned money on an autograph that they, they can authenticate it. You know, Conor McDavid holds a special place to people in this area. He grew up in Newmarket, played for the York Simcoe Express, you know, is represented in Canada with pride and the captain of the Oilers. And he trains in the off-season here. What has he been like for you in your position, Jason, and upper deck to deal with since you signed your deal with him? Oh, he is the, the consummate professional. He, he is, you know, I think what everybody would hope as a, as a captain uh, of the Edmonton Oilers would present himself as, as he, is, he is absolutely phenomenal to work with. He's just a, a, a good guy um, and very professional, always comes ready to, to work, to sign, um, to do anything we ask him. We couldn't, we couldn't be more happy with our relationship with Connor. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have been in this business without some sort of passion for it as well. 
Has there been a piece of memorabilia or a signature that you've received along the way that even you went, wow, I can't believe I have this? Well, you know, for, for me, uh, any of our portfolio spokesmen, um, every time I, I see a, uh, a signature, I have one hanging in my office, um, whether it's Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky, um, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, I mean, any of those athletes um, are our spokesmen are phenomenal to me. LeBron James has been a spokesman from, for us since 2003. Um, and even the younger guys with Connor and uh, Ben Simmons, uh, who's a more recent spokesman, you know, each one of those guys are, are um, or gals are fantastic athletes and, and even nicer in person. And, and to have a piece of their memorabilia is just incredible. I'm blessed <laughs> running the company and, and working with all of these athletes. I remember my first autograph from an athlete. Do you remember yours, Jason? Uh, I actually do. Um, I was a kid. I went to a local uh, card show, and my first two autographs were Matt uh, Oaks of the Tigers and B.J. Serhoff uh, of the uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. So it goes back a ways, uh, but it made a huge impression. The guys couldn't have been nicer. And, you know, as a kid, you know, that's something that you remember forever and, and really got me into the, the hobby of collecting trading cards and, and memorabilia. I remember B.J. Surhoff well. That doesn't surprise me at all. And Jason Marshall is the president of Upper Deck, a company in Upper Deck. If you can get details about UpperDeck.com for their multi-level prevention for fraud and counterfeit goods, make sure when you're buying something from Upper Deck, it is the real deal. And by their multi-step process, you will be making sure you're buying authentic stuff, especially from the Pride of Newmarket, Connor McDavid. Jason, this has been very informative, and I really appreciate you taking the time to make sure that people, when they buy their Connor McDavid memorabilia, are buying the right thing. Hey, no, I appreciate it. And, you know, you can if somebody's looking for that memorabilia, you can either get it on UpperDeckStore.com or at our certified uh, diamond trading card shops um, are, have access to that memorabilia as well. So just make sure if you're buying something from Connor that it has an Upper Deck authenticated hologram on it. That's perfect. Thank you, Jason. All the best. Take care. Hey, thank you. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including the return of a Canadian talent. Rob Daniels with Danny Fernandez. 105.9 The Region and Rob Daniels with you here earlier this week. Danny Fernandez joined us here at 105.9 The Region. He was my co-host on the show. We had a ton of fun. Danny, welcome back. I'm going to be quite honest here. It wasn't that much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Uh, Great to see you. Danny loves to pull my leg all the time. Uh, We've known uh, each other for quite some time, for like 10 years. Um... So I want to get right into that, uh, sort of like a little bit of what's been going on the last 10 years. We've, we've worked a few gigs together, introduced you on stage at several events, and, uh, and you definitely are a huge success, and you've taken a little bit of a break. So I want to know what's been doing over this, uh, this break that you've taken. Uh, a lot of things, man. So during that break, it wasn't really a break. Okay. So um, during that time, I actually toured China. <gasps> For like three months, Asia, sorry to say, um, and uh, that was fun. I toured Australia, yeah, and I also had a baby. And you had? Well, a baby. I didn't have a baby. My yeah. partner had a baby. So look at that. Yeah. My good. Yeah, they usually do all yeah. the work. We're just I there. Like I had the baby. We're, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're just the diaper changers. Yeah. You know. 
<laughs> so yeah, it really isn't. You're going to need like a vacation from the well, this the, the vacation, which was te- quote time off, not not much of a vacation. Yeah. But um, speaking of a vacation, a place that looks like a good place to go on vacation, Brazil. Uh, you're now back from that uh, fantastic looking place, um, and you were working on some new music out there. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the trip so, and what you were working on? I have a record called "Please Don't Break My Heart." Um, and they decided that they want that to be my single in Brazil in October. So um, I was there for 10 days. And then while I was there, I had no intention of shooting a music video. Um, so the last three days I was there, the guys came up to me. They're like, hey, we're going to shoot a music video. I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm not really prepared for that, but okay. So we did it, and you saw the video. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. Like, yeah. just so professionally done, yeah, too. So and it, the clarity and the 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 uh, images on the sidewalk, um I guess is that like artwork in the background? I, I don't want to call it graffiti. It's not. It's it's. But like the, the about stairs. Yeah, the stairs. So someone. Um, it was one guy who did that whole thing. Yeah. So he lives in in Rio de uh, Rio de Janeiro, and he um, he's not. I don't think he's alive anymore. But before he died, he made that whole staircase. Like, wow. Like a hundred stairs up. That is no more than that. I'm, not, I'm just. I just made that up. Um, no, it's like wait. a lot of stairs, and yeah. he. he put it all like tiles and like all that stuff like, it's and all the colors it, yeah. it's so uh intriguing yeah. so uh it's i'm glad you had a good time out there uh, from the looks of it and uh and now you're back and uh and you also filmed the music video out there for your brand new single which is called sinking uh I, i've always been interested to know this from an artist's point of view i i watched the video and i'm like wait Danny's Danny's got Danny's got a wife. I mean, I mean, another woman is practically all over him in this video. And I know I'm I'm like this is this is part of the game though. This is the acting part. And you know I've always wondered, you know how how do you know personal relationships and such uh, continue when, when let's say like how do you tell your wife when she watches something like that? Obviously it's acting, but can she make it through watching the entire thing? I mean, yeah, she's tough. Yeah, she's tough. She knows it's just a job, and she knows. At the end of the day, I'm coming home. So, um, I mean, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure she's not happy about it. But I mean, at the same time, it's like something. It's just I have to do. It's my job. It's my career. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no really emotion in it. It's mm-hmm. just more like she's here to do her job, and then she's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. And uh, no, oh, for sure. And uh, it's it's similar to actors and actresses. You see them up on the big screen, and, and there's uh, there's a scene. And they have yeah. lives at home and children. Exactly, and they have to be. That was o- also, one thing though, um, the director asked me, he's like, "Do you want to kiss this girl?" I'm like, "No," because I have a daughter. Yeah. And if my daughter sees me kissing another girl that's not her mom, yeah, she's not gonna. Then I have to explain that. And even though she's three years old, she still knows. She still she's knows. A smart little kid. Okay. Yeah, because so you know what they say, like you when you when you when you cheat on your wife, you cheat on your daughter. So it's like you know, that's so yeah. obviously it's a good you know good idea for her to not not see that and you didn't go through with that. So so that's uh, some wise judgment right there. So um, describe the new single for me. What what's that all about? Uh, so. Uh, it was written by August Regal. Um, he's done a bunch of stuff for Chris Brown, Justin Bieber, One Direction. And so he asked me, he's like, what do you want? Um, I'm like, I want something more mature, something that, you know, I'm older now. Um, not that much older, but I'm older. Um, and I'm like, I want something that I've never sung about before. So it was, it's about a girl who gets offered a job out of the country. Yeah. Um, so she decides to take it, and I let her take it because I love her and you know what I mean like she's trying to follow her dreams so I can't hold her back from that and did that really happen to you 
No. In life, no. no. Okay, so you just it's sort of all right. But it came up w- for a good song. You know? Yeah, and it's just like in in real life. Like there's a lot of songs out there that don't that are not ha- have relations real. to real life situations. But it yeah. could be for someone else. Sure, it could be someone else's situation. I, actually, I had someone message me on Instagram and saying this song hits the heart for me because this actually happened to me. Yeah, she's like I was with a guy. We were gonna get married, and then he got offered a job to go to like uh, Spain or something like that. And she's like, he went. Yeah, and it broke my heart. And I'm just like. See, people, yeah, people can really yeah, relate. Like people relate to that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, wow. Um, so this is a part of new music, obviously, that, that you have going on. Uh, and uh, as far as the future is concerned, what can you elaborate on that? Is, it, is there an EP coming, an album? To be honest, I, I thought about all that stuff, but like, album is pointless. Yeah. So I'm just going to continue putting out singles Sing. consistently. Yeah. Like every three months, just give it to them. And then, and then, and then I mean, eventually, if it, if it comes to the point where there's so many, I'll yeah. just put it all together into one package and put out an EP or an album, or and just give like bonus records that no one's heard before and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Do you see yourself on tour again? 100. percent Yeah. Brazil's next. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, hopefully the GTA again. Oh yeah, 100. All right. Yeah. Uh, the Canadians love Danny Fernandez, and and so does Brazil. He's yeah, I love uh, the Canadians. Yeah, sorry. And I love the Canadians. And you have the Canadians. Look at and I and that was just the typical Canadian thing for me to do. Sorry. My, <laughs> sorry. My, my wife is Canadian. Yeah. I'm like the most Canadian doesn't get any more. <laughs> a. <laughs> a. Well, we wish you the best of luck, Danny Fernandez. So good that you're back again, and uh, and I'm sure all your fans are as well. I see it all over Instagram, all over social media that they're uh, they love that you're back. The comments on YouTube. So. Um, we want to thank you here, and uh, you can listen to the feed, of course, 9 a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays at 5 p.m. I'm Rob Daniels for the feed on 105.9 The Region. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or community event to share, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.